Good morning. One of the things I love about Abundant Life is we could just meet and greet the rest of the service. <laughs> this is a friendly group of people, and it's a beautiful thing. Now we get to dig into the Word of God together. It doesn't get better than that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for how you bring us together and how you, you weave the very fabric of our lives um, into one another, Lord, and, and, and you orchestrate our lives into, into the world as we reach out. We thank you for your sovereignty, Lord, and for, for the privilege and the honor you've given us to, to be your witnesses, Lord, of the hope that you've given us to, to seek to offer it to others, Lord. And we thank you for the honor of conveying your message of hope um, and for how you cause that to come about by your presence in us and by the Holy Spirit's guidance. And, and, and we just praise you this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless our word. All right. You know, as we were listening to worship, as the worship was ending, the last song we sang, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't talk to the worship team, it was, but we were singing, Our God Saves. Our God saves, our God saves, and he does, doesn't he? We know that, don't we? I mean, we've been saved, you know. Others before us have been saved, and, and they've, they, they couldn't keep it to themselves, and they've shared it with others, and it's gone on and on, and here we are. You know, at, uh, when Jesus ascended, there, he had about 120 followers, who were present there in, in Jerusalem. And he left. So to all intents and purposes, by the world's way of looking at things, you would think, well, it was a nice run, but it's going to fizzle out. <laughs> and here we are. It is not fizzling out. Our God saves and saves and saves and saves. <laughs> With that in mind, we're, we've embarked on a series called Because He Lives. And it, it flows out of, of our, our Good Friday and Easter celebration. And it, and it just reminds us all the more that Easter is ongoing. And so in the next part of this series, we're going to explore in the first scriptures from the first six chapters of the book of Acts, which describes the beginning of the Christian church. And just as the, the church did in Acts, we're going to remain camped around the central theme of our lives, and that's the cross and our risen Lord. And may we always stay camped around that, because that's the very central source of, of, of everything. In the weeks ahead, just to give you a, a, a preview, uh, next week we're going to hear about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then we'll have a message on the on body life priorities, then walking by faith, dealing with opposition, living with integrity, and finally the importance of perseverance. And all those messages are for the sake, of course, of us uh, continuing on in our, our following Christ and our own discipleship, but also for the sake of us continuing on and seeking to make disciples of others. In Acts 2, uh, verse 8, Jesus, the creator, the savior, and the redeemer, who is about to ascend, said this to his disciples. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Next week, Pastor John's going to speak about that occasion where the, at Pentecost where the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the disciples and, and that, that power kicked in. And, and last week, of course, we did talk about witnesses, witnessing. And, and, and today, we're going to talk about this message of salvation that, that we've been given to bear witness to Christ. Last week we talked about likening being witnesses for Christ to a relay race. And, and the baton that Christ pass, has passed to us through other believers is that message of salvation. And so we take it and we run with it. And we hold on to it. We hold it fast. And we seek to offer it to others. And so it's, it's, a, it's, it's a great metaphor. Actually, we showed a clip of the world record four by 400 meter relay that took place back in 1993 and it was, a, it was such a, wow, what a race that was. And the reason we chose the, that, that particular race, the four by 400 meters, is because those of you who run track know that, that the 400 meters is considered to be the hardest, most grueling race in track because to all intents and purposes, it's a sprint. And yet the human body can't sprint for 400 meters. And so at the tail end of the race, inevitably, there's some suffering. So we got to watch these athletes running with, with this wonderful purposefulness and, and running with the gift they were meant to use. And we watched, we watched them run and, and set a world record, break the world record by two seconds, just demolish it. And we watched them celebrate together. And, and then, you know, in thinking of that metaphor, just, just thinking, the stakes, we're in a better race. It's a wonderful metaphor, but this race we're in is so much better because the stakes we're playing for are so much more than a moment of glory in history. It's a matter of eternity, and the key to victory is running on God's team. And the great part about running on God's team, as, as we see over and over in Scripture, and as Jesus was so careful to convey to his, his disciples and to us is, we don't run alone. In fact, we can't run this race alone. We run it because he's in us, and he strengthens us. And we run it because the Holy Spirit is right beside us every step of the way, guiding us and keeping us on track. It's a great thing to run on God's team. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2, speaks to this race. It says, let us lay aside every encumbrance. That's, that's anything that might distract us from the race or weigh us down unnecessarily. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And that's the sin of unbelief that would say to us, this race isn't, isn't really what it purports to be. And, and that's, in other words, you've been given this wonderful truth and, and you're called to pass it on, but you know, don't make too much out of it. And I would say to you, let's make everything out of it. Because it, it's, it's the very 
core of, of life itself. And then he goes on. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Ain't nothing going to stop him from completing his mission. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We know he accomplished his mission. That work he did on the cross fulfilled everything he had come to do. And yet we also know that as his witnesses who've been given this beautiful message to pass on, his mission and the fulfillment of it lives on in each of our lives. And as we run this race, there's, there's so many beautiful beautiful uh, experiences and occurrences that take place. And, and sometimes we get the joy of, of offering that baton and seeing somebody reach back and grab it and run with it. And there's nothing like that. There's nothing like that. Now, a sobering piece to this, too, is in fulfilling his mission, Christ suffered, didn't he? I mean, what a victory but what's suffering along the way. And of course, since we're living out the fulfillment of his mission in our own lives, suffering's a part of the equation for sure. And it's, it's twofold. First of all, there's the suffering of an indifferent and often disdainful world at the notion that human beings need a savior. And so we're gonna come up against that for sure in all kinds of ways. I offer that to you humbly because I didn't come to Christ till I was 40. And I was one of those who wasn't just indifferent. No, I was, I was insulting. And, and some of the things I said to try to push off this message of love and hope. You know, I've, I've sought to seek out those people I said those things to. I haven't been able to find them yet. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to seeing them later on. And not just apologizing, but to thanking them. Because they made deposits into my life that, that put me down further towards that road of salvation. God bless them. There's another part of our suffering, though. And that is a suffering that takes place within us. And it's that, that refining suffering. Where, where we realize, you know what, not only is the world indifferent and disdainful, but there's things in me that are attached to this world. And it's incumbent upon me to, to, to grapple with those things, to, to call upon the power of God in my life, that I might set them aside and in their place receive that, that new life that he has to pour into me all the more. And so that's another part of our suffering. And we must never look overlook that because you know one great reason we mustn't is because it keeps us humble and we got to be humble if we're going to offer this hope it has to be offered humbly because I would say this to you I will ask you a question actually it's kind of a trick question who needs Christ more those who've accepted him or those who haven't yet accepted him it's a tie we all need him just as much Everybody needs him, every minute. 
this gospel message, this precious baton that we've been commissioned by our Savior to offer to others is the living, breathing truth of who Christ is. That truth, conveyed by the power of the Holy Spirit, as it's humbly offered, is what wins the day in a human heart. Does that bring back memories? you recall that moment when, when you said to Jesus, Hey, I've botched it up long enough, Lord, you take over? And that wonderful Holy Spirit revelation and, and that took place within us? Honestly, I, when it happens, sometimes we don't even know what's going on, but we know something great is going on. I mean, I, when I was saved, I was at the age of 40, and I just, it was so wonderful. I, I said that very thing. It wasn't, the, it wasn't a very formal prayer. I said, God, I'm blowing it. You better take over. <laughs> And he did. And I started crying, and I got this peace, and it was amazing. And friends came up to me, and they said, Toby, you're not one of those born-again believers, are you? And I said, no, no. Six months later, I said, you know what? I am. (laughs) It was was certainly the greatest moment in my life. I mean, there's been plenty of others afterwards. Now, here's the thing that we we need to just hold dear, though. That wonderful Holy Spirit revelation that occurs in that God-breathed opening in our hearts when when that happens, in the hearts of anybody when that happens, it's it's His move in our hearts. And and we all have a personal testimony like what I just shared for you. But, But our testimonies must always lead beyond the the our personal experience and, and the emotion of it, they must always lead to the person of Christ. Because folks can say, you know, that's nice, I'm happy for you. But when we start identifying the person of Christ and sharing him and communicating him in word and deed, then they have to stop and say, hmm, I wonder if that's for me as well. It transcends our, our personal experience. These are some of the things about Christ that speak to his, who he is. His virgin birth, his sinless life, his crucifixion, his resurrection, the gift of the Holy Spirit, his ascension to the right hand of the throne of God, and the truth, as he promised, and he keeps his promises, that he's coming back again. All those speak to the person of Christ and who he is. Anyone can believe anything. But when it's the truth they believe, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, a whole new life begins. And we, as, as the witnesses for Christ, who, who, who bear this beautiful, beautiful message, get to be part of the communication Wow, what an honor. The suffering that goes with it, look at, look at the, the fruits of it, the, the celebration of it, the victories, the hope, that, uh, the hope ahead. It's, it's so worth it, isn't it? I want to uh, sing a song with you, and I invite you to sing it with me. And, and I, the reason I want to do this is because 
this song articulates this message of hope we've been given. And it's a very simple song. But as we sing it, and, and by the way, feel free to just meditate on the words as we put them up here. Stay in your seat. Stand and worship whatever. But, but just, I just want to give us this chance, this time to just kind of let the truth, the way, the truth, and the life that Christ is, just kind of, let's just kind of bask in the glow of it together. This is called Lord, I Believe. And, and when we say, I believe you are the Christ, that's a big thing to say. It's a big thing to say because we're, we're acknowledging, boy, do I need a Savior, and, and it is you. <laughs> and, and the other value of singing this song is, is simply this. The more it resonates within our hearts and souls and spirits and minds and bodies, the more we can convey it to others.
because it's the truth, what we just sang, as we, as we, as we bask in it, marinate in it, the Holy Spirit, who the Father sent to us, confirms it in our hearts all the more. Isn't that the, the beauty and the wonder of, of, of worshiping Him? We're going to look now at an amazing sermon. It was the first sermon in the Christian church, and the Apostle Peter taught it. And, and we're going to look at this sermon because, first of all, it comes right on the heels of, of, of the outpouring of the gift of the Holy Spirit into the lives of Christ's followers. And so it's, it's, it's the first and almost immediate um, confirmation of the power of the Holy Spirit in them. It's also a great illustration of, of the, what that gospel message is that we just sang about. And it's also a valuable um, a lesson in how to communicate this great message we have. And so let's take a look at this. And, and we're going to break it up into four sections. And they are, the first section is, consider the circumstance. In other words, as we seek to reach out, okay, exactly what's going on here. And by the way, this is something that not only Peter did, that, but that we see this pattern uh, throughout the Bible when Jesus shared the gospel to certain people, certainly Paul over and over later in the book of Acts. So the first part, portion we're going to look at is consider the circumstances. The second portion is, how, is connecting on common ground. That's, that's a wonderful way to bring people in. And by the way, again, this is not some manipulative uh, procedure I'm suggesting. This is, a, this is something that, that can be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and, and that's, that has to be the way it works. So consider the circumstance, connect on common ground, and then, in that God-breathed opening, communicate the gospel, the gospel message. And on the heels of that comes the invitation to come to Christ. And so we're going to see how Peter did that in this, in this sermon. Uh, regarding consider the circumstance, we're going to, um, first of all, note that the circumstance of this sermon was it took place in Jerusalem and it took place uh, during, it was Pentecost for the Christians, but also the Jewish Pentecost, which was a holiday called Shavuot. And this was a celebration of, it was called the Feast of Weeks, one of the Feast of Weeks celebrations. And so many Jews from all over had and made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to be there to, to celebrate this Jewish holiday. In fact, uh, Acts 2.5 says, There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. So it was like a big conference, you might say. Also, the disciples were gathered at, at the upper room, which was a, a Christian Judeo um, sanctuary, and we don't know exactly where it was located, but we know it was nearby to the temple. So, so when Pentecost took place, and, and the scripture says there was a, a, the noises of a mighty wind, 
and, and, and folks started speaking in tongues and, and fire appeared over the, over the followers. That, that occurrence was so dramatic that many of the Jews who were in Jerusalem were drawn to it and wondering, what is going on down the street here? We've got to go and see. So we're going to pick up uh, that circumstance here in Acts 2, and we're going to read verses 12 to 15, which describes what took place. And this is speaking about uh, the Jews who were in town for the Shabbat. They all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying one to another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they're full of sweet wine. But Peter, seeing this opening, Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. Now, you'll note, some who came to observe what was going on were amazed and perplexed, and others were very skeptical. These guys, these people are, maybe they're drunk. But Peter took that opportunity, that opening, to say, no, there's something way bigger going on here. So he's drawn them in. The next part of, that we're going to talk about, the next section, is connecting on common ground, and, and, and Peter does this beautifully. We're going to read verses 16 through 21. Now the way the Lord led Peter to connect was he's speaking to devout Jewish people. And so he goes to the Old Testament where, they, where they're so, they're so uh, immersed in, in the beauty of the Old Testament. And so Peter goes to the book of Joel, but uh, let's see what, he ha- what takes place here. Uh, Acts 2, verse 16. This is what was spoken of, this is Peter speaking, through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God said, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves... This is God speaking about his followers, both men and women. I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And here's a promise. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, we know this prophecy is, is about the end times before Christ's return. And so, not for a minute was it supposed that Peter was suggesting, this is it. But here's what he was saying. This is similar to what is coming ahead. This is, in a sense, a beginning of that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And, and they were able to say, oh, yeah, because God is going to do that. Another, a beautiful way of, of connecting on common ground. 
So now this opening is established. Jesus is setting, saying, I'm sorry, Peter is saying, what you've seen here is a move of Almighty God. And in that opening comes the communication of the gospel. This is uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 36. And what, what a, what a uh, glorious statement this is. Peter says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. So he's reminding them what they've experienced and and heard about. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Can you imagine being, being one of those hearing that message? It's sobering. It's, and then Peter does a, a great thing. He goes back to the Old Testament to, to verify what he's just said and confirm it by prophecies. He goes back to the book of Psalms and he quotes King David. He says, For David says of him, that's Jesus, of course, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaking. These are words speaking about Jesus, not about David. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exulted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. That's from Psalms, uh, Psalm 16. It's almost verbatim. Then he goes on, Peter goes on, he says, Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Actually nearby was was David's tomb. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God has sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This is from Psalm 132.11. The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body, I will set upon your throne. Again, do you see how he's, he's connecting all the dots for them? Therefore, having been exalted, I'm sorry, let me go back to verse 32. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Wow. Confirming the gift of the Holy Spirit that's just taken place upon the followers. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord 
Jehovah, the Father, said to my Lord, the Son, the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Speaking of the second coming. Psalm 110:1. My Lord, David, was speaking of the Messiah, his descendant by supernatural virgin birth and acknowledge him to be the Messiah. You know, the Jews had this concept of, of, of the Christ the Messiah, drawn from Scripture, and in part true for sure, which is that when the Messiah comes, Israel will, will be restored to its former glory, and the oppressive Roman rule will be done away with. And so that's, that's what they were thinking. And, and basically what Peter is saying to them is, well, that will come, up, come about later on. But this is so much bigger. This Messiah, you need to see. He's, there's so much greater that, that he offers than a, than a mere political uh, transformation. Then he closes this part of the, the sermon with a, what a powerful passage. He says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now the the table is set for the invitation to come to Christ. You know that song we sang? Basically, Peter has spoken all those truths into their heart in a way that they've They've been able to receive it. I want to sing a song to you prior to going to this invitation because it articulates, again, what what we just talked about. It's called Right Here on Earth.
I long to be with him. I remember what he said. That he'd send us a comforter after he rose from the dead. And just as sure as he rose from the dead, right here on earth, he breaks bread. Our very Lord and Creator, and yet He calls us His friends. And when I lay my broken life before Him, I swear I feel the touch of His hand, healing me with heavenly mercy. Right. worship with my brothers and sisters He shows me we're all part of His plan For offering news of His kingdom right here on earth Right here on earth Our Almighty God is right here Glad he's here. <laughs> the invitation to come to Christ. This is Acts 2, verses 37 to 41. Now, when they heard this, speaking of the Jews, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Underline, brethren. Now they're at this point where, where they realize, wow, we're so glad you're here and we appreciate what you've shared with us and we're seeing it to be the truth. Brethren. Not, please leave me alone. No, it's brethren. It's gratitude. Do you think this response, what shall we do? Wasn't, do you, don't you think that was music <laughs> to the ears of the apostles? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Underline here, Repent, and each of you be baptized. And never, in other words, Peter's saying, this is, a, this is something personal and wonderful for each and every one of you to receive for yourselves into your heart. Again, it's so much more than some political movement. This is, this is life eternal. For the promises for you and your children and for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Again, Peter's gone back to the Old Testament, Isaiah 44, 3. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. But this is in a, a spiritual sense. I mean, certainly, each of us with children, we so long to see 
to see our children receive this truth into their own lives. But this, again, is, is a little bigger. Peter's suggesting I've, you've taken this, this wonderful eternal life into your own hearts. You're about to. You're about to take that baton, and, and it's for you to pass it on. And, and all you pass it on to, because this is a family thing, it's the family of God, there's, there's the family's groan. And, and not only that, but those of you pass it on to, they're, they're going to pass it on to others. What a, what a beautiful unfolding of, of the mission of Christ that lives within humankind. It's about spiritual reproduction, isn't it? I'm the spiritual son of Wally Giles. He's the one who, who walked alongside me and, 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 sh- and di- actually did this very pattern in my own life. Peter goes on. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. By the perverse generation, he, me- he means be saved from this generation, these people who deny their need for a Savior. He's saying, leave it behind and become part of the church of the living God that you might receive the full measure of God's love and pass it on to others. I can't help but but look at that passage again, verse 40, and it says, with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them. Don't you wish you could have been there and heard those many other words? Oh, my. But God has many other words to give us to, to share with other people. Verse 41, So then those who had received his word were baptized. And don't you love the, the, the beauty of that holy sacrament, which, which so speaks to what takes place when we exchange our old life separated from God by our sin for a new life and that occasion of coming up out of the water and basically making a declaration. I'm his now, now and forever. So then those who had received his word were baptized and that day there were added 3,000 souls, about 3,000 souls. These were real conversions here. These were people that, that really got it and ran with it. And we know that to be true because as we, as we look ahead in the book of Acts, we'll see there was, there was such fellowship, such accord, and such a, you know, a common uh, coming together and growing together and reaching out to others together. This was such a vibrant time in the life of the church. And it can be just as vibrant a time in the life of, of, of church in the here and now. Abundant life, I would say. But, but also notice, it, it says, those who had received his word were baptized. In other words, everybody, apparently, didn't receive this word. But don't you think everybody who was there must have walked away, like I used to do with those who were sharing it with me, and think, you know, there's something going on here. And I'm not, I'm not quite sure yet, but I'm going to have to consider this. And don't you think some of them came to Christ later as well? Oh, my. I want to say uh, one more thing about, uh, about communicating this message and inviting people to Christ. 
and, and we spoke about it at the beginning, when we let this sink into our bones, this, this wonderful reality of this risen Savior who is, who is our Messiah, when we enter into the beauty and the wonder and the truth of it, and by the way, it's something none of us can completely fathom because it's so profound. But we, when we just you know, continue to explore it and, and be in wonder and marvel at what's taken place in our lives, in a sense, we are remaining at the foot of the cross in that place that he provided for us there. And we are also doing something else that is so wonderful and has everything to do with sharing this message. We are making room around us for others to come and take their place as well. There's a, a beautiful old hymn. It's called, There's Room at the Cross for You. And it's, it speaks to this. It says, The cross upon which Jesus died is the shelter in which we can hide. And his grace so free is sufficient for me, and deep is its fountain as wide as the sea. So there's that entering in. And then there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. More entering in in the second verse. The love of my Savior is strong, and the hand of my Savior is long. Through sunshine and rain, through loss and gain, the blood flows from Calvary to cleanse every stain. Bragging about him. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. The last verse says, Though millions have called him a friend and have, and have turned from the sins they have sinned, the Savior still waits to open the gates and save one more sinner before it's too late. There's room at the cross for you. The values of this church talk about that room around the cross, about, about taking our place and about providing room for others. Because when we're worshiping God, and basking in the glow of his love, and, and, and it's, it's certainly for our own sakes, but it's also for the sake of others, because as we choose to draw near to him, we are all the, uh, we are all the more empowered by him to, to reach out to others. And when we grow in Christ together, it's certainly for our sakes, isn't it? We want to become more and more like him day by day. But it's also for the sake of preparing us to say to others, hey, let's go. This is great. <laughs> this is great. You don't want to miss out on it. I'm living it. And you can too. Because he is all he said he is. And as we love one another and serve one another, we, aren't we strengthening it and the body together to accomplish its goal as a community? to be here for others, to reach out to others. And finally, that last value, reaching out to others. Well, how's this for, for something that is inspiring? As we reach out to others, as they come 
into the kingdom, they'll reach out to others, as we've talked about, and on and on and on. You see how there's always this, you know, passing it on. And may I say to you, a church that is truly vibrant and and alive is a church that is, is reaching out as well as seeking to grow. And honestly, I've, I, I love being in Abundant Life because this church, the backbone of the identity of this church is, is to share this truth with others and to reach out. And it's happening all the time here. All the time. We could be telling stories the rest of the day about all the things that are going on that Christ is doing in our midst and through us. But we'll close for the sake of the service here. <laughs> but let me just say to you, let's just cling tenaciously, tenaciously to this truth of who Christ is. And let's treasure this wonderful, glorious, and challenging mission he has placed us upon to share this, this message of salvation with others. Because, you know, it it is truly, it's the greatest of all messages. And we get to share it. We get to run this race together. Amen.